everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Rosario and Callie Picardo. Roz is an MDiv alum of Asbury Seminary and a church planner. He currently serves as Director of Houses of Study at United Theological Seminary and co-pastor of Mosaic Church, a multi-ethnic church he started in 2017. He also teaches in the Master's and Doctoral programs at United and is the founder of Picardo Coaching, LLC. His wife, Callie, is Vice President for Development at United Theological Seminary and has spent her career in finance and fundraising. She's a member of the preaching team at Mosaic and is the founder of Deep Roots Financial Coaching. Roz and Callie have been married 11 years and are raising three awesome daughters. Money Talks, that released July 5th, is their first book that they have written together. It provides a biblical take on money and how Christians are called to operate in a world where money often takes center stage. It provides wisdom around God's view of things like spending, earning, saving, and giving differently. And thanks to the generosity of Roz and Callie, listeners of this show will receive a special 20% discount when you purchase the book from Market Square Books with the code 20MTALK. That's 20MTALK for 20% off their book, Money Talks. So you'll want to be sure to grab a copy of that and we'll link all the links for you in the show notes. So now, Let's listen to my conversation with Callie and Roz. So Roz, Callie, thank you so much for being part of Thrive today. It's just a delight to have you here. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be with you. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's really exciting. Now, Roz, you're an alum of the seminary, is that right? Yes, I graduated with my MDiv in... 2007. I had to think back. Yeah. 2007. It seems like it was yesterday though. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Time time just kind of flies. Yes. Yeah. So Callie, you did not graduate from the seminary, which we'll forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Lexington. So I grew up with Wilmore and Asbury right down the road. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you guys meet then? We actually met at Starbucks. Yeah, as a church planter, you know, I would spend a lot of my time in coffee shops, restaurants, wherever, just to meet people and get together for conversation. And I was meeting with somebody uh, that was in charge of marketing, and he was helping me with the church. And after our meeting was over, he had another meeting with this young lady by the name of Callie. And so he introduced me to her, and I got her business card. and. She was sharing with me how she helps donors and church giving and those types of things. I worked for a group called National Christian Foundation Kentucky and so worked with ministry leaders all the time. And so I thought, hey, oh, good, a good pastor. I can help them maybe with the donors at their church. And, and I was thinking, oh, she's cute. So I emailed her <laughs> and asked her to get together. And we met at Panera Bread 
And I thought it was a date because I'm a little slow sometimes. And I thought it was a business meeting. He emailed my work email and asked yeah, to get together for coffee. Of course, he wanted to talk about charitable giving. Doesn't everybody? And right? so when we got together, uh, then she pulled out her work folder and my jaw dropped a little bit and I tried to recover. And I looked down and realized he didn't have a ring on his finger. I know not all pastors were married, but I've never really known any that weren't. And so I just assumed this guy's married. And then I realized, oh. He thinks this is a date, but I was on work time. I wasn't going to be going on dates during work. Right. That doesn't work. So I just kept saying, well, let's tell me more about the donors of Embrace Church. <laughs> and he kept saying, well, what do you like to do for fun? And so we just were back and forth and back and forth. But needless to say, less than a year later, we were married. Oh, wow. Wow. So once you guys knew, you knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it took a couple months, but yeah. then once we got past the, okay, he likes me. Is this really right? Is this God? And then it was so clear it was God that we were like, yeah. yep. How did you know it was God? Oh, just a lot of, a lot of prayer and God really just showing me like that he'd given me feelings for Roz and this was who I was supposed to marry. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's, John Wesley talks about this. Um, whenever there's a calling, there's an inward call and an outward call. So of course, inwardly, you have emotions and feelings and feel like you have maybe some sort of revelation. Um, but there's an outward call that matches that. So, how, you know, what do your friends think or who, you know, that my friends that met Callie, um, you know, they kind of grilled her a little bit. Yeah. And he had friends that were very like gatekeepers. They weren't yeah. going to let him date any, just any girl off the street. Like I was like, and fortunately I knew some of them from back in high school Okay. Um, some of his close friends, and I didn't date any of the other kids in the youth group, so they didn't have anything bad to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, yeah, "No one knew it said anything bad about her in high school, and she seems like she's still good today." So, but having those friends looking out for you makes a big difference. Yeah, so I think it's that confirmation that we yeah. that we get, you know, inward and outward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, how does church planning and financial church planting? Did I say planning? Church planting and financial planning. How do those go together? Well, I mean, church planting is, of course, a passion of mine, and probably Callie's too. Um, it's introducing people to the kingdom of God, and so mm-hmm. we know that church plants um, oftentimes reach more unchurched or dechurched people. Um, they are able to take risk and do things that may be established or institutional mindset churches don't do. And so how do you fund those things? Mm-hmm. Well, if we know that money is a part of discipleship, then there's that natural uh, partnership that goes with the fundraising piece. And so I think that's where Cali has helped me and has helped our churches when We've thought about what does it mean for people to grow in their spiritual journey, uh, because oftentimes the last conversion that happens is the checkbook conversion. We mm, tell God, yeah. you can have everything else. You can, be, you can be my savior and save me from my sins, but I don't know about you being Lord of my life when it means being Lord over my finances, too. The other thing I've noticed with church plants, um, and may, I don't know if this is all church plants, but they te- tend to have the assumption that we've got people coming that are brand new, hopefully people that have never known Jesus before. So they take the time to do some teaching, to do some explaining of things that maybe institutional churches that have same people every week, they're not used to doing. Yes. So some churches just say, hey, now we're going to collect our tithes and offering. And someone who's not a believer in Jesus is like, 
what what are tithes what are offering you you want you want my money what why like are you what are you gonna do with it and so we really in our church take a lot of time to explain things like hey here's why we're doing communion here's why we take up an offering and you know, mm-hmm. God doesn't want your money, but God wants your heart. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we want you to be able to grow in your faith. And giving is a way we've grown in our own faith by saying, God, we trust you with all that we have and with yeah. all that we are. And so to do some teaching and explaining and just helping people understand what stewardship looks like, what that word even means, yes. um, gets people excited about giving. Yeah, I think explaining why we do what we do is so important. Even, I think, well, especially for people who've never been to church, but I would say even somebody like me who grew up in church, there are times that I'm like, we do this. I don't understand why we do what we do. Like, what does this actually mean? So I think when you understand that, it makes your faith more alive and uh, gives you the ability to grow more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Absolutely. not just something you do. It's it's got a purpose. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, for sure. Um, before we get in too deep, you guys started a podcast recently as well called Better Together. How how did you guys how did you guys get that started? Well, that phrase uh, "Better Together" actually it came from a prayer that Callie would pray. Yeah, when I was single, I, you know, I had this long list of everything that I wanted in a guy. You know, he used to love Jesus. He has to be like six feet tall and like drop dead gorgeous. And, you know, he has to like hiking and the beach and reading like a crazy list that half of it didn't even truly matter. But, you know, you put it out there and like, hey, God, can I have all this? And finally, I just boiled it down. I'm like, okay, God, if I'm actually supposed to be married, just can it be someone that we can serve you better together than we can apart? So that was my wow. prayer, Lord. Like if, you know, I'll be single if you want me to be single, but I was tired of dating guys that were Christians, but where I felt like I was always just trying to pull them along. And uh-huh, God uh-huh. really answered that in Roz. Like we are, he brings out the best in me and I bring out the best in him. Like we just, we're, we're better in ministry together than we were single. And then, um, Roz started a church in 2017 that has that better together mm-hmm. tagline as well. That was a multi-ethnic church um, mm-hmm. started by co-pastors, which, you know, we're United Methodists. And so normally the church planting way is send one pastor on their own, but Jesus uh-huh. sent people out two by two. And so yeah. they said, what if we did this together? And so that's the the whole idea of our church mosaic is that idea that we're better together. You know, the mosaic isn't complete without you. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's realizing that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and his goal is to divide, but God always wants to unify and mm-hmm. bring unification. Mm-hmm. So um, that's um, under the banner of Jesus, and that's what we try to do and how yeah. we came up with the name. Yeah, yeah. So were you guys the co-church planners, or how did that work? I'm on the preaching team, but okay. I'm okay. not officially a uh, pastor ordained or anything licensed official. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, in your book that we're going to talk to talk about more in a minute, but in many talks, you guys talked about your stories of personal identity and growing that, um, learning to understand that more deeply in Christ. And so each of you has um, separate stories, of course. Um, Roz, in the book, it mentioned like 2020 was kind of a pivotal moment for you in understanding your identity. And Callie, for you, you talked about between a job transition that you really like 
had to figure out who who you were in Christ. So um, would you each, we can start with with you, Roz, if you'd like. Um, would you each tell us those stories? Yeah, I think with 2020, um, you re- reevaluate what is most important. And so for us um, and for myself, the time of family was huge because as an Enneagram 3, I am hard charging. I want to be productive. I want to just get going. What do you do when everything kind of comes to a screeching halt? For what do real. you do when there's no daycare and you have, you know, two toddlers that you have to entertain during the day? And I was pregnant. I was in my third trimester of pregnancy, oh, like when in March, when all yeah. the shutdown started. And your house is small. And you're trying to record sermons and you're because trying, you're trying to, to learn how to do church virtually, virtually. where everything's yeah. pre-recorded and, and you're uploading and downloading and yeah. So um, I think the biggest blessing was that time with family sitting around the dinner table. Um, and we we've gotten that more and more. And I think it was something before, not that I didn't do that, um, but it was less frequent. And mm-hmm. I see the importance of sitting around the table even if it's just for a few minutes um, as our girls come and they pray together and we eat, uh, there's uh, there's something special about that. So the family time is important and um, letting go of the rat race that we are often in to be productive. You know, when you think about it, everybody wants a hack. Everybody wants ways or tips or tricks. And part of it is we're operating outside of God's design when we are running ourselves ragged. And so Mm -hmm. 2020, um, even though it was a hard year for many people um, and leadership, definitely hard, but um, the the blessing in that was finding um, and rediscovering what our priorities should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's an ever... It's an it's a ongoing battle, yeah. but that's why we wanted one of the chapters of our book, Money Talks, to be on earning, because um, what mm-hmm. does it look like to earn money in mm-hmm. a way that lines up with God's word, where it's not yeah. working 24-7, but it's working 24-6. It's having Sabbath rest. It's mm-hmm. not, we're not human doings. We're human beings. What does it look mm-hmm. like to be, be okay with not getting everything done, but knowing that <laughs> God is still God and God is going to use it if we're looking to him first. And if we're yeah. trying to really work for God and not for people, mm-hmm. um, not trying to win the approval of others. Um, but that's why we wanted to have that as an important chapter of the book because the world says chase money money's yeah. money the world's way says chase me like come after me you need more 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 you're never done you can you can't rest because you're you're you got to keep earning more whether it's for your own worth in what you do i mean sometimes we make busyness an idol yeah I mean, and work and an idol like we you know that's that's the acceptable sin is uh workaholism and yes finding our identity there because you know, clearly we're working for God. We got a lot to do, but that's not God's way. And if we're not careful, we can make even Christian work, we can make the sacred secular if we're not, if we're taking God out of it, if it's all about us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. on the flip side, it's true too. You don't have to be a pastor in Christian ministry to work for God. We Mm -hmm. can make the secular sacred by putting God first 
Mm-hmm. Um, I share the story of my aunt Sherry in the book, and she is so special to me. She's a strong Christian woman, but she's worked as a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And she always saw work as like kind of the way she made money so she could do ministry on the side. Well, God convicted her and said, no, I want I want all of your time. All of you is can be ministry. And so she started looking, OK, how can I care for my clients and care for my coworkers in a way that honors God. How do I lift up the people that are unseen in the office? How do I pray for my clients and pray for my coworkers and love on them with the love of Jesus Christ as I'm working as a financial advisor? And so anything can be ministry if we yeah. put God first in it. Yeah. So it wasn't like she changed jobs. She just started mm-hmm. doing the job she was currently doing differently. Yeah. It's, yeah. All, it's all a heart and a mind shift, mindset yeah. shift. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's I will be thinking about that after we end our conversation today. Um, what did you all learn? Because we didn't get to your story of personal identity, Callie. Um, yeah, so if you could tell me a little bit. That's an ongoing journey, but if you could just tell me a little bit about how you came to understand your identity in Christ. Yeah, when I lived in Kentucky, I worked, as I mentioned, for National Christian Foundation at their Kentucky office and loved it. Like I, I'd been in investment banking right out of college and that that was hard for me. And then I got to the sweet space of being able to combine my faith with generosity, with teaching people what God's word said about finance and about giving. And I loved it. And then God called us to move to Dayton, Ohio. And I had my whole hashing it out with God, like, God, but I, I love being in Kentucky. Uh-huh. I'm near my family. We just bought a new house to be right where our church is. We've got friends. Like, I've got a job I love. I'm working for you, Lord. God, don't you want me to stay here? Like, I love my life here. And I felt like God said, Callie, if you love your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose it for my sake, you'll gain it. Wow. I said, oh, okay, God. <laughs> You're God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lord, uh, we will go to Dayton, Ohio. But then... My boss is willing to let me keep working in Ohio for him in Kentucky and doing it remotely. Like uh-huh. I was like, great, this is awesome. I can follow God and have what I want too. Uh-huh. And God said, I want you to give up that job. Oh, no. And I said, <laughs> okay, God, well, what do you have next? And I felt like God said, I want you to trust me. I want you to quit that job. And I want you to just step on, on faith and just, I'll tell you when the next job comes. And wow, that's a huge step of faith. Oh my goodness. And also just I've always worked. I loved working and I was in a job I loved clearly and I didn't have kids. I didn't have mm-hmm. family members that needed care. I, I didn't know anyone that didn't work who loved to work who could work who didn't have a reason not to. Right, right. And so it was a major identity shift because if I'm honest, I found a lot of my worth in what I did and in being a working woman and in loving Jesus, but like lead in being in leadership type roles and moving to a new place. I love Raz, but I didn't want my identity to be as Raz's wife either. Yes. And God realized, like, no, your identity is as a child of God. And so that was such a sweet year. Like, I got to spend basically a year of doing everything I would have done in retirement, but I was 30 with the energy of a 30-year-old. And I got involved in our church. I was basically on staff without getting paid. And I got involved in the food pantry and tutoring after school and just building intentional relationships. It was such an awesome year, but it stretched me. And so my prayer that year became, God, I love you and I trust you. 
Yeah. I love you and I trust you. And I would just say it over and over again when I started to be like, God, those gaps in a resume, like, can you fill those? Like, the longer I'm without work, you know, God, the harder it is to find work. And God kept saying, Callie, you know, I'm God, right? And I'm like, (laughs) oh, yes, God, I love you and I trust you. And then it was a year to the day from when I left my job in Kentucky that God opened the job I have now at United Theological Seminary doing fundraising here. And just timing wise, they, they tried to hire me sooner. Mm-hmm. And that timing wouldn't have worked. I mean, just in hindsight, like just knowing what I know now, like God's timing is perfect. His way is perfect. God used that year of not working to just build deep relationships for us to, in Ohio, but also to grow me in my own heart to get me mm-hmm. ready for what was next. Yeah. Yeah. I love I don't always love the process of how he does those things, but I love I love being on the other side of those things the and being able to look yeah, like, the oh God, you point. were so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So why was now the right time to write Money Talks that releases, it will release on July 5th? Well, it, we actually wrote it, started sooner on it, the idea of it, but then the pandemic hit and everything else. So, um, it's actually, we believe, delayed with God's perfect timing, of course. But churches now um, have to, churches and Christians have to rethink uh, their view and theology of money because right now we're only hearing what the world says about money. Mm-hmm. And that is the message that we actually download and believe and live out. But Christ followers are called to do something and be about something different. And so, um, what does it mean not just to earn, save, give, and uh, spend, but how to honor God with all of it, um, mm-hmm. not just a segment of it, not just a percentage of it, but all of it. And so uh, as churches think about this with less coming in the offering plate in the future because of the declining economy, how can we challenge Christ followers to grow in this spiritual journey? And so. Um, You can't really talk about giving until you tackle the spending and the debt. You know, people want to um, give. They just don't know how because Mm -hmm. they think, well, I have student loans. I have a mortgage. I have a car payment. I have all of these things. And yet you're asking, God is asking me to give. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. And you started giving while you were playing your your student loans. So, yeah, God challenged me to do that when I graduated from Asbury. And I had probably over $50,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. You know, my family, I was the first in my family to go to college. I went in the military and got the Montgomery GI Bill and worked a job, but still had to have debt, mm-hmm. really. And um, I remember when I went into ministry, the temptation was um, not to give to God because I had to pay off these student loans. And so I decided that I was going to aggressively pay the loans with any kind of extra gift that I had, whether it was birthday money, Christmas money, I was going to apply extra to the loan, mm-hmm. but I was also going to start tithing. And with that, you know, a few years later, God ended up just setting it wholly free uh, wow. that I'm debt free. And so when we get people to a position of being debt free, they're more free to follow God when God calls them to do something. They're not, you know, just enslaved to money or to debt, or if God is calling you mm-hmm. to serve in a certain area or maybe be a missionary somewhere, 
and you can't say, all right, well, God, I have all this debt, you know, so it allows more freedom and flexibility in how God uses us. Yeah, for sure. And before we go any further, I want to make sure our listeners know where to get your book. And you've been generous enough to offer a 20% off discount just for our listeners. So um, it's at Market Square Books, and we will link it in our show notes. And the code is 20MTALK. And that will all be linked in the show notes so you guys can go grab a copy of that as well. And be sure to thank Callie and Roz as well because their book, I read it to prepare for this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. had some takeaways for me um, just thinking about where I get my own security. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. Our our prayer is that God will use this book to help people grow in their faith. It's got practical tips for being a good steward of all your finances, but the real significance of the book is just having a heart that is fully surrendered to God in every area, especially this area of finance that can have such a hold on our hearts. I mean, we have the advertising industry constantly bombarding us with messages that you need the latest, greatest, the best, the next. <laughs> yes. And to the point where we get drawn away and we have so many messages against following God with our money that it takes being intentional Mm-hmm. And stopping and reflecting on what really matters, um, on putting God first with how we work, how we earn, how we spend, how we give, and how we save too. Like doing it in a way with a heart for the Lord, where the money itself, how much money is in the bank account, doesn't take the place of God as Lord of our life. Yes, yes. So one of the things that you talk about is. Money, money talks to us in different ways, and I think in ways we I didn't realize before reading the book. And it says things like "chase me, squander me, hoard me." Mm-hmm. How is God's view of things like spend, like the things you were just talking about, spending, earning, saving, and give, giving, different from the world's view? Mm-hmm. I think a big piece of it is what what's the focus? What's the priority? Is it to impress others? Is it to find security um, to be able to sleep at night? Like where where are you looking for that? And so if you're looking to your money for how much is in the bank account for safe, I've heard someone ask before, if would what would cause you more anxiety if I told you that there was no money in your bank account or if I told you that God didn't exist? Oh yeah. That makes it real. real Yeah, that convicted me. I was like, Mm -hmm. which would stress me out more? Mm -hmm. Um, Because so often we look to that savings to give us that peace of mind and not that you shouldn't save. But if your security is there, Mm -hmm. then it has the wrong place in your heart. And so um, we, we proactively are saving, but we also are proactively giving. And often people have a hard time giving because they're like, will I be saving enough? And so one of the things that helped us was we actually sat down with our financial advisor and said, can you help us run some numbers? Are we ever going to be able to retire one day? Because we want to be able to do ministry for free. We probably won't sit around doing nothing. We'll probably keep doing a lot of what we're doing, but we don't want to worry about the paycheck one day. Right, right. And so they ran the numbers because they're like, we've got this giving habit. We, we love giving. We have so, so much <laughs> a good habit to have. <laughs> um, but are we doing enough saving? And they ran the numbers and were able to show us that, yeah, to be able to live with, with kind of your current lifestyle at that point, like, you know, here's some worst case scenario, best case scenario, mm-hmm. and kind of more likely scenario. And so actually running the numbers gave us a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Um and I was working with a couple, too, that had never had always wanted to tithe, but they were scared to tithe. 
yes. um, to give that 10% back. And But they never really made a budget. And oh, so yeah, we sat yeah. down to make a budget. We took that 10% out first. So we built in some money for saving and then we made the rest of it work. And then they realized, oh, we can afford to tithe. But so many people are afraid to do a budget. Mm-hmm. They think uh-huh. a budget's like a scary thing. Like, oh my goodness, it's going to be so rigid, so constricting. But right. I get the analogy, you know, it's like it, not having a budget is like throwing your money up in the air and hoping it lands where it's supposed to land. Yeah, yeah. A budget's just intentionally putting it where you want it to go. And it's a flexible document too. Like you live with it. And then if it doesn't work, you can change it. And there's so many online versions. Like I think Dave Ramsey has like an online budgeting platform. We use mint.com for our own kind of bringing finances together so we can have mm-hmm. a budget, especially, you know, if, if it pulls in our credit cards and our bank statements so that we really can have everything in one place. And it's it's just a matter of being intentional. Um, but then also checking, does that spending line up with what I say I care about? Like if I yeah. say I care about my family and spending good time with our kids. Well, then is the money, are we spending money setting aside like for spending family time together? Maybe for going on a family vacation or is the money going for like subscriptions to things that actually take our attention away from our kids? So having that like check of looking at your spending, does it line up with what you say you value? If it doesn't, mm-hmm. there are probably some little tweaks that you could make to really put your values um, first in the way you spend your money. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about money being a tool that we can use to do good in the world. Um, But like you said, it's easy. I know for me, I have been convicted by your book and some things that have been happening in my own life about where I find my security and my identity Mm -hmm. um, and was like, oh, I am a lot more comfortable when there's money in the bank account than when we have larger expenditures that yes, we save for, but I'm like, oh, that makes me nervous. Um, Yeah. So how do we, how do we seek God first when we have to use money as part of our culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, when it comes down to uh, praying and asking God for direction, uh, when you have maybe a major purchase you need to make or uh, you feeling God challenging you to maybe increase giving or start giving. I think everything needs to be rooted and start in prayer um, and read in the scriptures. Um, you know, Jesus talked a majority about money, probably 80 percent of his talks, sermons than anything else in the Gospels. And so um, I think there's something about asking God for wisdom when it comes to what do I do in this major situation um, for myself? I like stuff. You know, I admit that. Same. Uh, And so I heard it asked, um, would I make a purchase if nobody else saw it? Oh. Would I drive, would I buy this car if nobody else saw it or this name brand, whatever it may be. And so that started to really get me thinking, you know, are you, the, the motive behind it. And I think God has a tendency of showing us our motives when we uh, maybe look at our own insecurities and our own um, shadow side to see how do we spend money um, and why do we do what we do Um, and thinking through it, you know, and also um, with that seeking wisdom is accountability. Um, You know, you have your spousal cooperation, you work together as a team. That's how we do it. So Mm -hmm. we serve as each other's accountability. Um, If you don't have that, um, is there 
you know, different groups that you could be a part of, whether it's in your church or your community or another friend that is um, your accountability partner when it comes to, hey, what am I doing in spending money? How can I be a better steward in that? See, it's it's a balance because when you are so rigid, money still becomes a God. Yes, yes. But when you're so um, loosey-goosey, then money still becomes a God. So what is what is that balance where it's a tool and you are still, but God is your God and mm-hmm. uh, you're not placing idols because the thing that we try to, it still controls us. So our, it either owns us or we own it. Same thing with our stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think the same thing is true with money. Um, and so it's really that change of perspective when it comes to how we view money. Mm-hmm. And I think a good thing too, that can help in so many areas of our life, but God gave us our emotions and he gave us our emotions for a reason. And so often we feel them and we respond to them, but we don't actually think about why we feel them. Yes. So something that's helped me is when I'm feeling anxious asking myself, okay, why am I feeling anxious? You know, whether it's I'm about to make a big purchase, am I making the right decision? (laughs) Or whether it's the, is there enough money? Like whatever is, okay. And then, or am I feeling that like, I need to have that? Like, why? Like asking that deeper question to try and peel back the layers because our emotions are a gift. And so that's a way to kind of clue us in that something's off or I'm not feeling a peace. Like, why am I not feeling peace? What's there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like what you're saying about having having freedom with money. And I feel like, at least in my own life, it's it is a striking that balance between having having some rigidness and guidelines for how you spend money, but not letting that control you either, but not just being like, oh, well, whatever, I'm gonna you know, buy this, buy that, give, even giving, like it has to be structured a little bit, um, or maybe a lot. Like, I don't know, but it's a constant balance. I think, I don't think there's one like, here you go and then do this for the rest of your life. I think it's constantly changing. Would you guys agree with that? Definitely. And that's where, again, if you have a, a spouse, like having that feedback can be really helpful because you are often wired differently than your spouse. <laughs> now, I've yeah. seen it sometimes where you have like two spenders or two savers and like people are aligned, but often like it seems like opposites attract. Yes, and yes, so, for sure. Roz and I are different. You know, I am the planner, the type A, like that has to be a certain way. So I can get stuck in doing things rigidly. Yes. And Roz is the I'm spontaneous. If I see a need, I want to meet a need immediately and kind of run off and do it and want to give. And so we had to come with a balance to plan spontaneous giving. Yeah. So we plan for spontaneous giving. Yeah. Like we have the spontaneous, but it's planned for because it would drive me nuts when Roz would be like, here's a need, let's fill it. I'm like, that is breaking our budget. That money has to come from somewhere. Yes. Yes. I need it too because I get in my rut and doing things. And then when God calls us to do something out of our comfort zone, when we let God stretch us and mm-hmm. there's a need, my faith grows. Like the mm-hmm. spontaneous is what grows my faith. But mm-hmm. then we need some structure so we balance each other out in that. So I would say if you are a rigid person, maybe go to God and say, God, is there anything that needs to change in the way I yeah. handle my finances? And if you are a 
very fluid, like non-planner, I'd say maybe go to God and say, hey, God, what do you want me to do with my finances for the next year? God, is there something, a system that I need to put in place just even to try for the next year? Or if that's too long because you're like change, well, maybe just try for the next 30 to 40 days. Like, but make a commitment where, hey, for the next 30 to 40 days, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You keep talking about go to God and ask Him this. And I know everybody hears from God differently. But when you ask God a question like that for direction, how do you know, how does God speak to you? Uh, For me, I do a lot of journaling. And so I do a lot of reading God's Word, but also like writing out my prayers. And sometimes I'll like feel that impression on my heart. But I feel like God can speak through other people through opportunities, Uh through the word, through circumstances. You know, sometimes we're praying about a gift and we're like, but how would we fund it? And all of a sudden, you know, we get like a tax refund or like there's an extra income that comes. And it's like, oh, maybe that's God providing so that we can do the gift that he wants us to do. Or, you know, it's, it's a combination of circumstances, wise counsel, God's word, the Holy Spirit, you know, God speaks everyone differently. To me, it's often a combination, but uh, often it's the Holy Spirit kind of speaking to my heart. Yeah, and I I would say, you know, usually when you're sitting down and you're praying or you're journaling uh, or doing prayer walking, whatever it may be, the answer for me doesn't come right then and there. It's priming Mm. the pump really Mm -hmm. in my mind to be open. And so later that day, if I'm mowing the lawn or taking the shower, that's when God will hit me with a thought that otherwise wouldn't come from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, you guys in your book, you take a lot, you take a look at what John Wesley has to say about money and on the topic of finances in the book. Um, why did you choose Wesley and Jesus, of course, um, to be your guide? I, I mean, I think um, because of the tradition we belong to with the Wesleyan tradition, um, Wesley saw an unprecedented revival take place, but part of that revival was holistic. And mm-hmm. so people's lives were not only getting delivered and set free from addiction and all those types of things, but the people called Methodist ended up getting out of debt and accumulating wealth and were known for being generous. And so Uh, One of John Wesley's um, pivotal points, you know, when we think about it was how he was going to go spend some money decorating his home. And then afterwards, um, a widower came up to him that maybe she was homeless or marginalized and he didn't have enough money in his pocket to really give to her to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And so that really haunted him, plus his upbringing with 19, you know, siblings or whatever. also gave him some humble beginnings as well. And so I think that kind of helped him at the start shape his theology of money. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And he started out with giving a small percentage away. I mean, he had like 30, 20, 30 pounds his first job. And so he gave two pounds away and lived on the rest. But then he tried to keep his lifestyle pretty consistent. So his giving grew to the point where at the end of his life, he was giving away 98, 99% of his income and so he was living out this generosity and it clearly was impacting him. And then he was teaching others and he wrote so much on money and work and just giving godly practical wisdom that is still relevant 
for today. I mean, he wrote it so many years ago. And sometimes we think, well, that's in the past. What do they know? But uh-huh, uh-huh. so much of what he wrote is it just it still applies today. Like, how do you earn a living, but not at the expense of your physical health, your emotional health, your soul? Like, how do you do it in a way where you are working for God? I mean, how do you give generously in a way that's making an impact. He, he had a lot to say on those different topics, as did Jesus, as you point out. I mean, Jesus, like, <laughs> part of his parables were on finances. And so there's a lot in scripture to learn as well. It's And it still applies today. Yeah. I want to go back to some, the story you shared about your aunt and making the the sac- the secular sacred cuz we're not all pastors you know or working in any kind of ministry and i guess i'm just curious how like when you have an office job or you work as a as a farmer as anything you do what are some things to think about in because you still have the you know you still have your to-do list that you have to do for your employer but how can we start thinking about our jobs differently so that we are working for the Lord, no matter what we're doing. I mean, Colossians 3.23 comes to mind when I hear this topic, and that is work, essentially uh, do your work unto the Lord and not as you're serving others or trying to appease others. So I think of Brother Lawrence, who was that, you know, monk in the 18th century who really wanted to serve his brothers in the monastery. And he wrote this great work, Practicing the Presence of God. But he would do that as he was washing dishes for his brother. And so it's finding in the mundane those holy moments that we serve an audience of one. And it's not um, the masses, but it's one. And so we do that no matter what our vocation is because we strive to honor God. And Mm -hmm. some of those, what we view as mundane tasks are some things that God really wants to use to teach us something in that moment. Yeah. Are you washing the feet of your coworkers? Are you serving them? Are you willing to, hey, that trash is overflowing. I'm just going to take it out the trash at work. Or, hey, that my coworker looks like they're having a bad day. Like, how can I go and listen to them, mm-hmm. pray for them, maybe buy them a cup of, cup of coffee, like just to encourage them and to let them know that I see the work they're doing. Their work mm-hmm. matters. Um, prayer is a big thing, too, to just be undergirding all you do with prayer, praying for the your clients, praying for your coworkers, mm-hmm. praying um, just whatever you do. I mean, if you're a farmer, you're out in God's creation. So, I mean, even just meditating on the parables there, I mean, to, uh-huh. to be among the wheat and see the wheat <laughs> and the chaff yes. and think through yes. those parables. I mean, every, if you look around you, you can see God wherever you are. And I think about the prayer uh, Blackaby, who would say, you know, asking God, God, wh- where are you at work? And I want to mm. join you in that work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of the parables, in a lot of the parables, people were asked to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. Are all Christians called to sell everything they have? What does that mean? Yeah, we. so there's the... Scripture can get twisted in a variety of ways. Like within the church, we see some that take it to the extreme of the prosperity gospel where, hey, if you give to God and really X, Y, Z ministry that I run, God's going to bless you with a Mercedes Benz. You're going to have more money than you know what to do with. And 
that's not what God says. Now, God might do that. God said, more blessed is it to give than to receive. But I think some of those blessings are intangible. But then others take it to the extreme of that poverty gospel, um, you know, taking from some of the scriptures you mentioned, like the rich, rich young ruler that Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then mm-hmm. follow me. And he couldn't because of it in his heart. And, you know, then you see that some of the disciples like Peter, James and John, they left the, the their boats, they left their nets, they left it all behind to follow Jesus and um Jesus said, hey, you're going to have more rewards than what you've left behind by following me. And so God does call some people to do that. Mm-hmm. And if God calls you to do that, there it is worth it to mm-hmm. obey. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, God also calls other people into industries where they're making a lot of money and not necessarily increase their standard of living, but then it can increase their standard of giving. I mean, mm-hmm. by using those gifts, making money, investing it and having it grow that frees you up to have more that you can give away and more kingdom impact you can have through that generosity. Mm-hmm. I think God knows what's going to have a hold on our heart. Um, yeah. I mean, you think of the parable of the talents and the one that had one buried it. I mean, you can mm-hmm. have hardly anything and still hoard. Mm-hmm. And then the one with two and five talents, they invested it and doubled it. And mm-hmm. so the one that had five and made it 10 was given that one talent of the one that did nothing with it. And he was given even more like there's, I think it's a posture of the heart. It's a, what has God given you? It doesn't, you don't worry about, Hey, I don't have as much money as so-and-so. Well, what has God given you? What resources do you have? How can you use it for God? Yeah. And one of the things that's important to all of life, but it applies to making money and saving, giving is why we do what we do. Um, There can be selfish reasons to give because I know from my own life, it can make me feel really good about me when I, when I give. Um, but God calls us to be a cheerful giver. So what does, what does that, what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? And I guess a follow up question to that is how can we determine the own why in our hearts of why we're giving? And I love that passage. And we talk about this in church oftentimes because that word, Cheerful is actually translated to hilarious. Really? We are a hilarious giver. And so it's using, I think, the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom, the world's okay. economy versus God's economy. It doesn't make sense to to be a cheerful giver um, because when the world, the world always operates with a scarcity mentality, but God always operates out of abundance. And so, of course, It doesn't make sense to give because that's less of what we have. But even the proof um, and research has been done. People that give and generous are generous are more often happier and live longer lives than those who don't. So I I think there's something even in our makeup where we live into uh, our full creation and God's intent when we live to give. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How do we know? How do we determine our own why? And like the abundant, like if we're giving from an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. I think some of that goes back to checking your emotions. Like when you're giving, like how does that make you feel? And if there's fear with it, you know, acknowledging that, but then surrendering that to God and kind of digging deeper into why are you feeling that? Um, but then 
when you take that step of faith, there often is some fear when you go step outside of your comfort zone and Mm -hmm. do something that's scary, but you feel like God's calling you to do that. Then seeing what God does, because the more we take those little steps of faith and then see God do what God does, come in and show off and do his God thing and provide in ways that we didn't even fathom and make things stretch when it doesn't make sense. I mean, God does that type thing when we're faithful and we trust God and we step out in faith and say yes. And then that gives us more confidence and faith for the next thing God calls us to do. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love um, in the Old Testament where they see God faithful and they set up an an Ebenezer stone, which means thus far God has been faithful. And in my life, I look back at the Ebenezer stones, the, okay, here's a time God was faithful. Here's another time. Here's another time. Oh my goodness, God. Like, and I just, when I start thinking about all the times God has been faithful and all the many blessings God's given me, that gets me in that abundance mindset of, I can't outgive God. I can't mm-hmm. d- provide for myself even more than God can. I mean, God loves me as his daughter. And so it gives me that faith to step out and say yes to God. And then I see God provide again. So there's another Ebenezer stone to add to the mountain of all the good things mm-hmm. that God has done throughout history and throughout my own life. And it just yeah. gives me that excitement and in getting to give and be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm thinking about our friends who may be listening who do live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have really anything in savings. They're they're worried about making their mortgage payment because there is literally not enough money to do that. They're, they're worried about where their kid's next meal might come from because there is, in spite of their best efforts, there is just not enough. So what can what can these individuals do? How does this work if you're in that situation? It's a lot of the same principles, but it, it, it gets it gets that trust piece bigger. So it's still figuring out, okay, God, what have you given me? Where are you providing? And sometimes God's going to provide through outside sources too. And um, I know, especially if you've been used to taking care of yourself, sometimes it can be really hard to accept help from others. To accept help through a food bank, to accept help through a clothing bank, to accept resources from others. But often that's God wanting to provide and wanting to show himself faithful. I know that was one of the hard things for a lot of folks through COVID is people who never had to truly depend on God and the generosity of others lost jobs. And all of a Uh sudden they were driving their nice car up to the food pantry because they didn't have an income and they were living and God's going to provide in different ways. Um, and one of the most generous donors I've seen went from that place of living paycheck to paycheck, but then seeing God's blessing again. Mm-hmm. And, but she never forgot that experience of trusting God in those times where it was paycheck to paycheck and seeing God move and seeing God provide through other people as well. And then that just gave her a heart to want to bless others and help others Uh in those same situations. So I would say keep being faithful, but don't be afraid to accept help from others, too, because that's what the body of Christ is for. But the Uh world says you should be able to do it on your own. Yes. You should be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which... The image doesn't even make sense. It doesn't like, even work. It doesn't does it? work. Like you're on your feet, pull yourself up. What? How, are you in the air by your own 
So, but it, our God calls us to be dependent on God and also on others. And we are to be together as the body of Christ. And so often that means letting others help. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard to accept help sometimes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So hard. It takes so, so much hard. humility. So but much. Humility is a good thing. Yes. And God, God takes care of the humble too. I mean, we humble ourselves before God and God, that's when God can start to move. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Roz and Callie, we have talked about many things, and we have one question that we ask everybody who comes on the show. But before we do, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't already talked about? Well, um, you can get the book at Market Square and or Amazon at Market Square. We'll provide the twenty percent discount code. So yes, and there's also if for anyone listening that's a pastor or a lay leader at their church, if your church is one that would want to do a sermon series on these different topics of earning, saving, spending, and giving, we've created the chapters of our book have been made into sermons that are going to be available through Outreach Magazine as a free resource for churches involving the bumpers, the sermon graphics, all of that good stuff for those that want to build it in as part of um, their teaching and preaching this year. Awesome. And you guys do coaching too, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I coach church planters and pastors and churches. And I do more mm -hmm. coaching on the fundraising side. That's my okay. heart and my passion. I love helping people fund the mission that God's called them to do. Awesome. We'll link to all of that in, in the show notes in case people want to contact you. They'll be able to go there and get it. So the one question that we ask everybody, because the show is called Thrive with Asbury Seminary, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Um, I would say for me, I started meeting with a spiritual director, and that has been a game changer uh, because that kind of that helps me to stay centered and um, as an Enneagram three, it's hard for me to want to sit still and want to do something like that because I've always wanted to be productive. And so being intentional about seeking somebody out and having those rhythms can, it's, you know, an outside voice that can help me, uh, you know, encourage me to be still and to do the things that maybe are counterintuitive in my nature in terms of discipline and rhythm with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say for me, I'm just pausing intentionally throughout the day to check back in with God. And I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of journaling. I have to write my prayers down because otherwise my mind wanders and I I'm start thinking about my to-do <laughs> list and a conversation I need to have. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, I'm not praying anymore. I'm just thinking about uh -huh. what I want to do. And so I journal and I write out my prayers because if I'm less likely to go off topic. Or if I do need uh -huh. to write on my duties, often say, I'll say, God, I surrender. And I'll list out the things that I'm surrendering to God that are often uh -huh. on my to-do list. But then I was trying to make that practice in the morning. I'm Enneagram one. So I'm the routine follower, the perfectionist. Uh -huh. And um, I, I was trying to say, well, I did it this morning. That should last throughout the day. But I realized I'd get to the midpoints of the day where I was just like, you know what I should be doing right now. I've got more work to do than I can get through. So God, what should I be doing right now? Or I'm getting ready to go into a meeting and rather than preparing like with me, like just saying, okay, God, let me pray for this person I'm going to meet with. And so I've started journaling midday sometimes too. And that oh, just helps me recenter. Like I'll just open a Word document on my computer or the notes on my phone and just start typing to just recenter myself back on God and um, just, again, try to make, I, I work in fundraising for a Christian nonprofit, but to keep the 
sacred, sacred by putting God first. Yeah. Yeah. To keep your focus on, on Jesus, even as you work in a Christian place. Because as you mentioned, you can make the sacred secular and the secular sacred too. Very so, easily. It's just a hard yeah. posture. So just trying to check in with God throughout the day and not getting down on myself for the fact that I've strayed once again. <laughs> God, God, knows, <laughs> yes. God knows that we are these crazy little sheep that just kind of wander off and he says, okay, time to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's very kind. And one thing I'm learning is to be kind to myself in in the rhythms of my life. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. We'll link to all the things in the show notes. Thank you again for your generosity to our listeners with the discount code. We'll link that out as well. And just thanks so much for your time and the wisdom that you've given us. Oh, thanks so much for having us. It's been a joy to be with you today. Yes, thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Roz and Callie. They are just the best, and I so enjoyed this conversation and gained a new perspective on my identity in Christ, where my security is found, and some takeaways about how I can spend money differently and give generously. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. And if you liked what you heard, be sure to tell Roz and Callie thanks so much for being on the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab a copy of their book, Money Talks. It's available wherever books are sold. But for our listeners, they have generously offered a 20% discount if you purchase the book from Market Square Books. We'll link to that on the website. And the code is 20MTALK. That's 20MTALK for 20% off if you purchase the book from Market Square Books. Thanks again for joining us for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.